0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: He turns. He
0: fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Bibby has the open shot. Yeah! Ladies and
1: gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your...
2: Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Hammond, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. We, of course, are a Blue Wire pro- podcast brought to you by the good folks at Price Picks. Joining me today,
1: Box 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? I was doing great until Brennan put that stupid Braves hat on his head. Um, that literally went on like 30 seconds ago. One of the teams I despise the most. It, so, fortunately, it's not a Dodgers fan, but Brendan is known for wearing baseball hats with upside down logos. Not sure why that one's not upside down, but who knew? Who knew? I just, I, I said recently, I don't care what baseball hat I
3: wear anymore as long as it's not the Dodgers. And I went out and I wanted one that was the dark blue with the red bill. It was this or the Indians were really my options. And I like the, the Guardians. Sir. Than Guardians. Sorry, the sorry, Guardian, sorry. Please. Don't mean Let's to offend anybody. Uh, well, Don't mean to know. offend anybody. You guys were both quick with that one. Uh, uh, you know, so I didn't even think about it until I went to post a picture and I was like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of crap for this. And I was like, oh, God, this is one of the team
1: Sean
2: said he hates. So I got to wear it today. I hate him. God, there it, it is. Produced. Okay. And of course, that is Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you?
3: Doing Well, doing well um i got a new candle over christmas oh, oh yeah
2: a watermelon glass. lemonade apparently oh, that's oh. that sounds like it would taste good
3: yeah hey, flavors for calendars are in or for uh candles are interesting
1: yeah buddy it good smells good it smells good i'm right, uh burning through tree farm still um, Tree Farm. i ended up with a Dude, I'm going to tell you, I've got a lot of candles going on. Uh, and and it's, uh, I've got, staring me in the face, I've got Into the Night, Perfect Christmas, Tis the Season. Uh, let's put this down a little bit. Mahogany, Balsam, Pumpkin Apple, and then, of course, Sassy, which uh, Brendan mm. was so happy to provide for me. Got a couple going on here, too. Got a few. Look at you guys Jesus. with your ridiculous. <laughs> this is so great. It's
2: like Jan from The Office dropped by with all of our candles, and you guys said, okay, I'll take some. I just got a little aromatherapy thing. I guess you would call this. You
3: know, it's pretty cool. I don't don't go that far. Smells going on in here. It was a gift. I know
4: you do. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Sean. (laughs) Uh,
2: Seems like uh, you guys are getting all fancy. I'm I'm a married man, so we don't have like candles everywhere. I I don't need candles to freshen up the room all the time. I I live in a married mood,
4: buddy.
1: Yeah. Oh,
2: Oh. Okay. <laughs> I'm highly successful at my game, Sean. <laughs> I'll turn 25 years married in July, Sean. <laughs> sure, sure.
1: I, uh, I bet if you had that conversation, she'd appreciate some candle Some
2: candles. <laughs> Here we go. We have candles in the house. We have candles in the house. Uh, what's going on, everybody? Uh, thanks for tuning in to the Kingsby podcast. Uh, sorry, we are wandering through the first three minutes of the pod. It's typical. We meander. We uh, sometimes go on a walkabout here in the first few minutes as we settle in.
1: Uh, I have a lot watching... of topics we can hit on. I mean, have yeah. you seen what people are doing for these Stanley cups? Like, what the hell, man? These have... tumblers? We have like three, four, or five of them. Why is this such a thing? It's like
2: Cabbage Patch Kids all over again. Yeah, this is wild. Like I, I, I,
4: I,
1: you know, I've got I've got a Tumblr too. I have the the I forget what name of it is, but but these Stanley ones, like Stanley, as in like the the Stanley tools, like the tape measure. Yeah, I guess they're like super popular. Well, they used to make like like Stanley thermoses,
2: like the coffee thermos, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, it's pretty cool i mean it keeps stuff cold longer than like your uh your costco uh variety of the big tumbler like the big chrome ones so i don't know Uh, but i'm not gonna go get in a fight at the target over a red and pink one Uh, i just think it's weird it used to be like hydro flasks
3: a couple years ago right like not even long ago is this the same genre of yes we're talking about
2: Except for the hydro, the, the problem with the hydro is it, it's not easy to get into the hydro flask. Like it's, you either have the big wide mouth, which I, I don't know who sits there and drinks out of the wide mouth one. Or with uh, wide mouths. you got to grab the, like the, the top with the, the straw. I don't know. They became too much of a problem to get in and out of. I, we have those two at the house. You know, my boys have them with like stickers all over them from like All the places that you go or like fast food spots. Um, yeah, here we are meandering again. by Stanley Cups, yeah. Uh, I don't know why we're meandering, uh, <laughs> well, but uh, I got
1: plenty of topics. There's a lot of Sean lot just
2: keeps throwing on. stuff out there.
1: Um, <laughs> you look so I just I was a little bit of a bait and you took it. Who knew that you, all your kids had stickers all over theirs? And Sean, ridiculous. Uh, Sorry. if you're watching here on YouTube,
2: uh, and you why don't mind, you be- give us. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, subscribe to the channel if you aren't already a subscriber. Um, outside of that, jump on board with The King's Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com and become a premium subscriber so you get invitations to everything that we do here at The King's Beat. Uh, we are, of course, a pick sponsored podcast, so uh, give picks a try. Um, you can go to... I think it's pricepicks.com slash Kingsbeat. I think the password is Kingsbeat, all one word, uh, to jump on board with Price Picks. I played last night and I was looking so incredibly good. I actually had it lined up. I I had I had chosen Demona Simonis with more than 13 rebounds. Check. I chose uh Keegan Murray with more. Then .5 dunks, which is actually a really sneaky good one to play lately. And that dude just keeps dunking the ball all over the place. Uh, I had De'Aaron Fox under 36 and a half minutes played, which I was sitting perfectly fine because the game looked like it would end in regulation. And then I had Paolo Bancaro at uh, less than 26 and a half points which was spectacular when he went out of the game in the third quarter and it was like, is he going to come back? Is he not going to come back? Uh, yeah, I, I lost. Um, Paolo ends up with what? 43. Uh, De'Aaron Fox just keeps playing minutes because they keep playing basketball. Uh, so either way, uh, I'm having a good time playing price picks. If you're out there and you want to give it a shot, there's a link in the description down below. They've got all kinds of things. Like they match up to hundred bucks. If it's your first time doing price picks, uh, you can bet. Uh, You can, you know, choose between football, basketball, baseball, whatever sport you want. Uh, So you can mix and match. It's good stuff. Uh, Give prize picks a a look if you are so inclined. Um, Let's get to the basketball. Um, Sacramento Kings uh, are about as erratic a team as you can possibly find. And we're going to dive into these two games that they just had on Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, On Tuesday night, of course, the Sacramento Kings stumble against a horrific Charlotte Hornets team that had lost 11 consecutive games. We're playing on the second night of a back-to-back. We're missing four starters. I don't know. Where are you guys at with this team when it comes to losing to bad teams, beating semi-good teams or good teams, and then finding ways to just disappoint you with losses like the one we saw on Tuesday to Charlotte? I mean, it's, it's tough. There's really, it's hard to find a logic,
3: you know, like, obviously you can look at each individual game. You look at that Charlotte game and 21 turnovers is just going to do it. Um, It says 20 on ESPN. I'm pretty sure the official count was 21, at least on the box scores that we got um, that tied their season high. And that also Got tied in that game against the Magic, which was a double overtime. But the other game that also had 21 was that overtime win that they snuck away from the Portland Trailblazers at home early in the year. So this is the most they've had in regulation by a good bit. The next was 17 there. And that's an easy way to kind of shoot yourself in the foot. You know, it was a lot of self inflicted issues when it came to the Kings in that game, what they would call like the controllables. And that's turnovers, that's missing seven free throws in a game that you lost by that much. Obviously, they're 30th in the league in free throw attempts. Like, there's just some games where the discipline with those controllables don't quite seem to be there. That the execution is just not being handled the right way. And I still go back to the big wins that they have over every team above them in the Western Conference. Probably outweighs the bad losses in my mind. Since you're still sitting here at twenty and thirteen, that's a great record in my mind relative to expectations coming into the year. But I don't know; it's really hard to to figure out a potential logic here.
2: Yeah, Sean. Uh, you know, we talk about the turnovers, and like, it's hard to like beat on Demonte Sabonis. Like, he's been so good, so spectacular this season, so consistent. 11 turnovers in that game is just outlandish. I don't think we'll ever see another game where he has 11, although he did back it up with six turnovers. And I was in gonna the, say, he
1: got pretty close last night.
2: Yeah, the win over Orlando, but some of the turnovers in that game, I think he had it's either, I think he had four offensive fouls, which are turnovers. And I think the what Brennan's talking about, and Mike Brown even mentioned it. He's like, it's not like somebody like went to make a cut. And then stop the cut and somebody threw a ball and it bounced out of bounds. He's like, it wasn't even those turnovers, you know, or, you know, a, a skip pass. that gets picked off or something. He was like, it was just almost like foolish turnovers. I, I don't even know what to make of it. I mean, when Orlando, I mean, uh, Charlotte had eight steals in a game where the Kings had 13 turnovers. And most of these were just give it away and unforced turnover unforced errors do you think it is a mental thing do you think it was like a mental lapse game coming off a long road trip i don't like to use that as an excuse at all um but and it wasn't even that long of a road trip but where are you at with what happened in that game
1: uh it was yeah it was just a bad just a bad game i thought they were they came out completely overlooking their opponent probably thought they could sleepwalk through it probably thought that somebody was going to just rise to the occasion and start carrying them kind of like you've grown accustomed to someone like Demonis Sabonis or De'Aaron Fox or even Malik Monk to be able to do but there was just a lazy approach I felt to that game um Mike Brown called it out uh you know you saw a lot of um a lot of criticism from Mike Brown in a very, in a in a variety of different areas. I think the most alarming of them, and I think he agreed, was that there was no sense of urgency uh, down the stretch of that game. You know, despite how bad they played against a very very bad team, um, it was there for the taking. And then when they went okay, nut cutting time, time to you know time to turn it on and close these guys out, they made so many blunders. <laughs> Uh, along the way and it came from about five different people so it wasn't really like you could hang it on any one person certainly the t- the turnovers from Demonis Sabonis stick out like a sore thumb and I, I, I mean I don't think you'll ever see that again from him I I was I was completely surprised at the at the 11 turnovers um, but I also feel and this was something that I was alluding to after talking to some people it's like no one really took the bait except for really Domas, which was they rely on him for so much that whether he's throwing the ball off the rim and and trying to, you know, trying to follow that up, uh, the ball squirting through his hands like it did on several occasions, or certainly as James, as you mentioned, the offensive fouls, I think honestly he took them out of their normal rhythm and it, kind of created some confusion throughout what they were trying to do offensively. Now that, that might be a little bit of an overreaction, but certainly I think it played a role down the stretch when other guys were trying to do other things. And then you have like, again, four or five players make different players make a sort of blunder that ultimately, you know, kind of cost them the game. But again, it's one of those games and that probably segues nice into what happened last night because, uh, I felt like last night had a very ho-hum type of start against a team that's really good. But if you really analyze the Orlando magic, it's like, man, they're down some of their big players. And then they're Mm -hmm. also losing some of their big players. You know, Franz Wagner goes out, Gary Harris goes out, and then you're playing against a guy, a bunch of guys that you didn't really have in the scouting report. And that can be dangerous for a team like the Kings.
2: Yeah, I mean I want to stick with the Charlotte game for one more minute because uh, there is the the incident that happens in the middle of the Charlotte game. And that is that um Malik Monk gets yanked after 5 minutes in the second quarter and or maybe it was 5 minutes combined between the first and second quarter and he appeared to come in with like the same lackluster like f- vibe that the rest of the team did and Mike Brown sort of took exception to it. Uh, There was a play where he underhands a ball like when Sabonis isn't even looking and like hits him in the chest and Sabonis gets tagged for a turnover. Um, There were like a a number of just like lackadaisical plays. Mike pulls him off the floor, sits him, which I think surprised everybody. And that, of course, like tease us because we're like, okay, Malik Monk played five minutes. That's not normal. Then we're watching the third quarter play out early third quarter, Monk goes in the game, hits a couple of threes, may have said something to Mike Brown as he runs by. Uh Kings take a timeout right after that. Mike Brown comes over and starts to have a loud conversation with Malik. Goes to, you know, cooler heads prevail, goes to walk away. Malik says something back to him. Next thing, you know, Mike turns around and he's chirping back at Malik and this is playing out in front of everybody. Um and then we have, you know, sort of the, I don't know, what happens afterwards. Like, you know, the Kings don't respond that well. Uh, Malik and is asked about it. Mike's asked about it. Um, what were your takeaways on this? Because Sean, I know like right away, we both saw it playing out on the, on the court because you could, going into the timeout, you could see that Mike Brown was stewing. He walked out onto the court. He started like pacing around in the key on their end of the court and then as soon as Malik sits down he goes over and we have like this uh, you know these things happen but a little bit of a a weird moment but you were recording the whole time
1: Yeah well I wanted to see who mainly who he was talking to. I didn't know right away that 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 comment or look was made for Mike after he hit the 3 and figured when they went back to the bench he would you know, probably have a jovial moment with somebody because this team loves to talk shit to each other, and it's 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 a healthy environment there. Um, and then, yeah, certainly it became something that again, I don't think it was a huge deal. Uh, this is for what par for the course for what Mike Brown does for a lot of his players and holding them accountable. And uh, him and Malik and, and Mike have a very real relationship, and it's a it's one where you can see someone you know, cuss the other one out and they'll be, they'll be just fine. That's what, again, I like to say, it's what coaching looks like. And, uh, the good news is, 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 you know, you see Malik Monk kind of pat him right on the back, right after everything was done. I mean, it was all, it's all fine. It's not like this is a huge moment of friction in between in in, with chemistry issues or anything like that. It's a, it isn't, it isn't anything like that. And the best part about it is, um, it, if, to say what you will i mean it inspired malik to kind of bring that team to life a little bit uh, certainly he did that against orlando but the the thing the thing that really sticks out from that is hearing mike brown talk about it after the the win over orlando which is that they talked about it they had a you know an in-office meeting they sat down and they talked about not only that issue but he apologized for him with the way that you know, things had been handled in that game and didn't apologize for necessarily for benching him, but for just ultimately the way Mike coached him and handled him. And, you know, I would just, I would push back a little bit on that. I mean, I think Mike Brown's looking at, you know, his team and looking at the overall big picture. And I think we talked about it a little bit, James, in the previous podcast, but, you know, let's say you lost to Atlanta, still give you the win in Memphis, but. This thing could look a hell of a lot different, you know, very easily. And you're looking at a team that could have very well lost upwards of seven, eight games out of ten in the last, you know, of their last ten, had things gone a certain way. And I think he's trying to, you know, really kind of shake them out of some habits. I think he he knows that he's got, you know, what is it, four home games here in six nights. Uh, The Hornets are terrible. You should you should be able to sweep, you know, sleepwalk through that game and still win, knowing that you've got a game the next night against the Magic as well. Um, These are sometimes where you find moments in the season to have some coachable, teachable moments and try to get a message across or whatever it is. I don't think benching Malik Monk, of all people, uh, in that first few minutes was the right move. Mike didn't apologize for that move specifically. He thought that that was the right move because he was not playing up to his standards, but I think there's a lot of um, the evolution going on with this Kings rotation right now, certainly by virtue of seeing Chris Duarte in the starting rotation, Kevin Herter now coming off the bench, and you're seeing Davion Mitchell back in the mix as well, so you're not really seeing anybody's minutes from the guard rotation. Like You're adding more guards to it. You're not really seeing this um okay we're sitting you necessarily other than really Keon ellis right but um to me i think there's a lot of figuring out that they're having to do and trying to find the right energy and i think mike brown mentioned this before the orlando game saying that in doing so with chris duarte and i think even he was asked about sasha vezinkoff obviously a forward that he can make he obviously is head coach. He's going to make moves at any point he can do so, but nobody has separated themselves that drastically from the pack of players that aren't playing to the ones that now are, and you just don't have that separation. So, you know, we saw JaVale McGee come in again the other night after, after not seeing him for a while and think Alex Len gets a DNP after a guy who's really been playing kind of well uh, over his stretches since coming back from that injury. So I think that even, saw a little bit of surprising surprising stuff there so um mike brown just really kind of going through it and but to your question james about like that moment i don't think it's much i think they just have a very uh good relationship that way to where they can have these honest conversations they can jump each other's shit they can get in the face of each other uh and look it was just a few games ago where mike brown is talking about malik monk is being a leader on this team telling his coaching staff not to talk to the officials really trying to rally the troops you know you see in that orlando game where it ends up being a flagrant foul he goes over to anthony black just to have a conversation and the coaches are running off the bench trying to thinking they're gonna break up an altercation and he's like no calm down it's nothing like that so it's uh malik monk is a polarizing dude and you can uh, and the camera finds him and uh, i think he's easily he's he's quickly quickly becoming a fan favorite i think it seemed like a healthy
3: conversation you know like coach complimented post game after that Orlando one talking about the sort of, I guess, incident that happened in the Charlotte matchup that he was really complimentary of his relationship with Malik and how real and honest that Malik is. And coach takes a lot of pride in doing the same. And I think that they both obviously have the same goal here. And that's a good formula for a solid coach player relationship. But like Malik did play really bad. I thought in that first stretch, like the starters were up 18 to eight at the beginning there He checks in and this isn't all his fault, but by the time he checks out, that is down to 22 to 21 with a Charlotte lead, you know? So the bench did come in and I I thought had a pretty tough, I, I believe it was Malik, Trey and... Davion on that check into the game pretty early there and they didn't have a good stretch. Like James mentioned that underhand pass to Domas that was super lazy and he wasn't the only one to make a lazy underhand pass throughout the course of the game. But Mike mentioned those sort of passes post game. He took a crazy shot with like 20 seconds left on the shot clock, caught it in the corner with his back turned and just, pivoted and threw up a crazy shot and he also had a really bad defensive play where his guy was cutting and he sort of let him walk to the rim fairly freely and fouled him and gave up an and one and put his hand in the air afterwards knowing that it was his fault so I understand the frustration with how Malik was playing in that stretch um, but coach did explain like it was just how I communicated that rather than the actual sitting him that he viewed as the issue or what he should have done better. But I did think that was a pretty tough stretch from a leak and it looked like Sacramento might be able to take care of that game pretty early and ride a lead. But when that bench unit came in, in that first quarter, their early 10 point lead evaporated super quick. And by the end of the first year, you're trailing by four and it became like a close game pretty much the whole time.
2: Yeah. And I I would say the only thing that I didn't like, I'm fine with Mike going and apologizing and, and, and having a, uh, a sit down in the, in the room with, with Malik. Um, And and I get what Mike's saying that he should have coached him in that moment that he shouldn't have just sat him and, and, you know, like pulled him and then sat him the rest of the court, the rest of the half. But at the same time, like with a player like Malik, he's got a ton of energy and, He's got sass to him, right? He's got a big personality. And I think we all know that the only way, the only thing you can really do to Malik, the only way to really, I think, get to him is to take away his minutes. Like, he's one of those guys. He's just a mad hooper. That's all he wants to do. All he wants to do is play basketball. And a lot of those guys, the only way to get through to them is not to sit there and have like a, a a quiet conversation on the sidelines or like to pull a guy like Terrence Davis out on the floor and show him what he's doing wrong. I think sometimes the only way to, to reach a guy like Malik is to take away what he loves and that is playing time. And so I didn't have any issue with what Mike was doing. I got what he was doing and I don't think he needed to apologize. Does him and Malik have to get back on the same page? Sure. Do they apologize to each other for handling a situation a little strangely? I'm sure they did. So I'm okay with how the outcome is. Uh, I, I I would just say, like, I don't think he needed to really apologize. Like, you're the coach. A player came in and wasn't ready to play. And it was against his former team. And you sent a message that was probably embarrassing because, of course, Malik wants to do nothing but, tr- like, stomp that team that drafted him and then kind of squandered his talent for three years. But if you're not ready and you're not coming out with the right mentality and and it, it hurts the team, the overall, like, product... Then, okay. Like, you got to do what you got to do as a coach. So, um, you brought up a couple of things. Like, we, we've got all kinds of things to throw in here. We have the Kevin Herter, uh, Chris Warte situation, which, you know, I think, unfortunately for Chris, like, one game looks brilliant. The next game is just a complete dud. And he's going to need time to kind of grow in to what he's doing. But we also have this situation with Herter. Where Herder might be one of your better trade chips and he's playing so poorly that you don't know how to like clear up that situation and get him in the right frame of mind. And I'm just wondering, like we'll discuss this, but when you guys look at and at the two players, it makes sense that because De'Aaron Fox is now averaging 30 points a game. That you can try something different at the shooting guard spot. You can go away from a, a natural scorer in Kevin Herter and go to a more defensive-minded jack of all trades player and Chris Duarte. I don't have any problems with the move at all. Early in the season, when De'Aaron Fox was, you know, averaging, you know, when he was a player, he was the previous year. When you you're coming into the year and you're like 25 points a game, but he he shoots 32% from three. You need the floor spacer next to him type deal. But that's no longer, number one, who Kevin Herter is. And it's also De'Aaron Fox is a different player. And I think it allows you to mix and match in different ways. Do you guys see what I'm talking about? Does that make sense that like, maybe at a certain point, Chris Duarte is more like Doug Christie than he is Mike Bibby? And it's okay to have a Doug Christie player when you have a guy who's averaging 30 points a game next to him.
3: I mean, this is kind of Casey Aquilamo Harkless all over again, no? Just at a different position. You know, I just like, think
2: that Chris Worthy is a much better player, a much better right. offensive player. No, right. and Go I ahead.
3: agree. But like, you're putting a guy out there that is kind of a defensive focused player to try to bolster that part of your starting lineup and really your team in general. They're sitting at 17th in defensive rating, which is a decent improvement from where they were at last year, but they had some recent duds defensively. Like obviously that game against Portland is probably the worst of them when you're on the road and just totally blow that game against a team that really had been struggling. I know Scoot's been playing well recently, but there's no reason to lose that game the way you did giving up 71 points in the first half in Atlanta is a really bad look, even if it was, you know, made up for in that second half and you still come away with a look, but it just feels like you need that more defense out there and, To your point, James, when De'Aaron's playing the way he is and you have all the other guys out there in my mind are offensive first weapons, not saying that they're all horrible defensively or anything like that, but their primary production in my mind comes on the offensive end of the floor. Then, except maybe Keegan Murray throughout the course of this year, then it makes sense to slot a defensive guy in there. Like this team needs to be better on that end of the floor, specifically when it comes to consistency. And I think it's a lot easier to give a guy like Chris Duarte minutes alongside four other starters. Am I still here?
1: Yeah, he's good. You're good, James
3: Rose. Gotcha. Um, (laughs) I think it's a lot easier to give a guy like Chris Duarte that isn't the best offensive player minutes to survive on that end of the floor when he's around four other starters, and you could try to bolster that lineup a little bit in that way.
1: Well, and to that point. Yeah, I mean, to that point, it's like, if you had to pick somebody in the line, in the rotation who's been inconsistent, and I know a lot of people point the finger at Harrison Barnes, but I hope the game last night uh, against Orlando kind of showed some of the value that Mike Brown sees in Harrison Barnes because, believe it or not, Harrison Barnes was fantastic in that game, and he didn't nearly get the credit that uh, he deserved. And it had nothing – it had absolutely nothing to do with the scoring, the points that he put on the board, and had everything to do with what they were doing to try to uh, – change what they were doing defensively because uh, everything that they had going on in that game was to take away was to take away the paint and the blitzing that they started to do uh, was was you know Harrison Barnes was really really good in that in that department so um, but to the point of Kevin Herter who has shown the ability to rebound the basketball of late uh, especially this season in in the face of a lot of struggles offensively I think the over the overarching belief there is belief there is that if Kevin Herter isn't hitting shots, then he's no good to you. And if you can supplant one person to bring come in for defense, that's the one to do it. It also gives Kevin Herter the opportunity, in theory, to get it done to, to just let it let it fly. Find your shot. You know, go out there against some lesser opponents uh as opposed to what starting rotations look like and try to get try to find any reason to just find your shot again. So I don't think it's a complete abandoned ship of, you know, you won't see Kevin Harder, Kevin Herter as a starter going forward, but at least for the foreseeable future, Mike Brown seems to be very much in the camp of let's reward Chris Duarte and see how this fits. Let's give this a 10 game sample size, you know, or more and pointing out all, albeit that he only played 10 minutes. uh, He was out of the rotation very, very quickly last night against Orlando and James Jam has returned.
2: Yeah, I have returned. Yeah, I, I would say to that point, um the real like the real starting shooting guard on this team, the guy who plays the most minutes, it, it's not Kevin Herter, it's not Chris Duarte, it's not Keon Ellis. It's Malik Monk. And so like realistically you're looking for the guy that can start the game and can and they can start the second half. But Malik Monk might be the guy who's going to play the entire fourth quarter. And I think by going to a guy like Duarte, you are kind of making a statement like, look, we are going to a more defensive minded look. And, and I think it's great because the the problem that I've had lately is the inline drives attacking Demontis Sabonis again, where Sabonis gives up, you know, what did Rudy Gobert had like 21 points and and 17 rebounds or whatever. Most of Rudy Gobert's points came on rotations where Demontis Sabonis had to go rotate over to stop an inline drive and leave Gobert for a wide open dunk. And that was on the guards. That wasn't on Domas. It was on the players that are on the front line, not on the back line. And he's just the one who looks bad in the situation. Like Gobert didn't have post-ups against Damanis Sabonis. Like, so... I get why, why Mike's doing this. And, and again, I don't disagree. I, I, I think it's uh, a moment where, you know, again, De'Aaron Fox becomes a different player and allows you to do something slightly different with your backcourt. Um, I also think that Kevin Herter has an opportunity to get more shots with the second unit that he would with the first, but like what we're seeing from Herter right now is a problem. Like he can't hit shots in warmups. Uh, like he has a hitch in his, in his shot and it's clearly mental. And I, I don't know what's happening there, but it started with preseason and the way Mike kind of handled that situation may have even started it in the playoffs where he just completely started in the three
1: point shootout.
2: It might've started <laughs> in the three point shootout, but you know what? He bounced back after the three point shootout, but those are moments where you're starting to look at Kevin in a different way. And it's unfortunate, but like this team needs to move forward defensively. They've got enough scores, you know, and if, if De'Aaron Fox is going to go out there and average 8.9, three point attempts per game, and he's going to shoot 40% on his threes. Okay. You don't need, you don't need another guy next to him is going to average seven threes a game. You can use a guy that can do a bunch of different things that, you know, in his first game, he goes out and grabs seven rebounds at Duarte, grabs seven rebounds. And then three of those, he put back for offensive putbacks. So he had six points up that he created for himself. That you're just not getting. You're not getting it from Harrison Barnes. You're not getting it from Kevin Herter. Like, you want more shots. You want more points to go on your on your ledger. Then go get them. And I think Chris Dwarte just showed you. Like, it's just sitting there. Why is no one else doing this? And like, to be be honest with you, I, like again, I'm all for it. Like, if if you can find a different look without giving away so much on the offensive end. It makes sense to me.
3: Yeah. And the one thing I'll add just to Kevin's credit is even though he's just under 34% from the year, like he's still going to get defended. Like he's a 40% three point shooter. Like when he's out there, he's spacing the floor. You know what I mean? It's not like teams are just going to be happy with, him taking open threes he's still getting top locked he's still cutting back door he's still sprinting his ass off pretty much every single possession i feel like in the half court or in the open court and eventually i think these shots are going to go down again he's too good of a shooter for it to stay this way he's a career 38 you go through the years like 34 this year 40 last year 38.9 there is a 36.3 in there 38 38 38.5 like he's a good shooter and he still gets defended that way and that does a lot for the other guys when he's out there. Just to his credit, still.
2: Yeah, physically, there's nothing wrong with Kevin Herter. Like, I mean, he's out well, there running from his
1: hand. He's he's got a left hand problem, but
2: yeah, that's about I mean, it. I don't know how bad the left hand problem is, though. I mean, it was like no, uh, he's
1: able to play for sure.
2: Yeah, yeah. So like, but I mean, physically, I mean, he's running. He's he's hustling. He's it's it, that's not the problem. And like Sean, you brought up the rebounding thing. He was really good early in the season, like going out and helping in other ways. He stopped doing that too. Like him and Harrison Barnes are like dueling for Coke machine status on each and every night. I mean, Harrison Barnes has to answer for it too. Like what in the world? How How is it that like in a double overtime game, you found a way to get to three rebounds. Keegan Murray had 12. Keegan Murray, not only did Keegan Murray have 12, Keegan Murray had six rebounds in the double overtime session. And sometimes it's about, like, hey, the effort needs to change. Like, whatever it is that you're doing, like, I don't know, maybe watch what Chris Duarte did for a game and go out there and find some rebounds that, that weren't there before. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Either way, I, I think that Mike Brown is uh, – he has to tinker because his team is odd. Is that Like, this team, the way that they win big games, the way that they lose easy games, the way that they lose by 20 – Uh, And win by 25, like none of it makes a whole lot of sense right now. And I, I think it's because when you're comparing teams, you're usually comparing them to either previous versions of themselves or to some other team. And like the Kings were really good last year at being resilient and not getting blown out in games and not having bad losses. And the bad losses this season have accumulated so quickly where you're at like six games where you're like, oh, that's a bad loss. And and I don't know how like to compare them to other, to something other than who they were last year. And then you look and they have a better record than last year, but it doesn't
1: feel as good. Does it? Well, I mean, look, it, it, that's the part where perspective comes in because again, it, you could at the end of the day, whether it's a 20 point win, a 20 point loss, it's a winner loss. It doesn't, it can change the feel, but it shouldn't, you know, it's like, it's it's at the end of the loss. So they come into 24, just like they did with 23, with the same amount of win total at the time, which was 19. So, yeah, but that the, I mean, just the, on that
2: point, Sean, they're way yeah. further ahead. They, they had 19 wins last year, but they've played, the games are different. So they were not yeah, I six mean, games over 500 or seven games over also, 500 going to last yeah, you year
1: have you also have the in-season tournament you have the I mean scheduling is a little wonky like there's certainly there's there's things you're dealing with there's you know injuries have been part of a storyline this year whereas last year it wasn't really a it wasn't really a storyline you know availability was was key for the Kings they didn't have um, you know having they didn't have this kind of what I would call identity crisis like they have this year you know they have one year one night they might look like the team that they can go out there and and be the top scoring team in NBA history or or, or even in the league and then the next night it's like why are you running in mud where does where this come from so um, I feel like you know there, there's just such a hyper focus from game to game that it takes away from kind of the big picture but the reality is that this team is very much still what they are like their, their, their shortcomings are still the same shortcomings they had last year. The stuff they do well are the things that they still do well. Um, I, I would say that they're shooting, you know, you could probably talk about, there could probably be a discussion that maybe it's not as good as once believed. And, and certainly you can kind of look at Kevin Herter and Harrison Barnes and certain guys that have struggled Keegan. to Keegan Murray for sure. And his start, um that hasn't been like those three players in themselves started the season last year very very well i mean through january we're all shooting at very high levels and all that stuff but you're obviously focusing more on the defensive end as well so i there are discussions to be had there but to me the overarching theme is this team is what they are exactly what they were last year and they they excel at certain things and that they they have certain holes and problems and they have positions within their rotation that need to be upgraded. And they're hoping that that happens by evolution, that certain players step into their own and become better. Some have, I think De'Aaron Fox has shown that he's been able to become something that a lot of people didn't think he'd become, which is this 30 point score there or hovering around 30 point score. I don't know that that's the best recipe for King's success though. So like, I think that kind of enters the the chat as as the calculus is this trade deadline nears is like do you really want De'Aaron Fox to be this guy who's out there having to score 30 points in effort to make your team successful for the long run and I don't know that that's in in the best interest for Fox I don't know that that's in the best interest for the Kings it's certainly fun to watch but right now there's just some just some just disoriented kind of rotational things that are happening and they want this team to, to get better on its own, you know, defensively, they want them to move up, you know, from dead last to possibly top 20 Um, things like that. Can they, can they make strides on their own before they really go in there and start really dissecting and and making changes? So um, this, this next month should be pretty interesting, I think.
3: And you made a lot of your money last year on the offensive end of the floor. Obviously, this year, you're not catching anybody off guard. Like Teams are ready for you when you come in. And obviously, the shooting plays a factor. I really look at Keegan and Kevin, 34% just under for Kevin and 35.5% for Keegan, two guys that were 40% throughout the course of last year, two guys that were elite last year really just among the entire league when it came to threes so that plays a part but you're also just not catching anybody off guard people know what you want to run and they're not your mike likes to say that they're the hunted rather than the hunters and i don't know that i necessarily think they're being hunted but i understand the logic there you know that they are not being totally looked over when teams are seeing them on their schedule. So your offense was bound to fall a little bit throughout mm-hmm. the course of this process. But it is funny how, you know, we could sit here and have all these questions and throw on pace for 49 and a half wins, right?
2: Yeah, and I would say this though, I'd like to kick back a little bit, like the Kings last year, I think they're, they set the, the record with 118.6, right? Um, offensive rating, that it was the highest offensive rating in the history of the game. That would be seventh this season. Like the Pacers, the Celtics, the Bucks, the 76ers, the Thunder, the Hawks are all well above that at this point. Like even those last two teams, they're a full point uh, above where the Kings finished last year. Like offense has become the game this season and everyone is just blowing up and the defensive ratings are trash. Like I know the Kings went from like 22nd to 16th in one game the other day because everyone is bulked up like they're all like around each other like 115.2 115.3 115.4 either way that's bad it's a horrible defensive rating and like the kings have moved up to the top of that heap and they're right around 15 16 right now that's fine but their offensive rating is like 112 and so while i think that yeah maybe the league has figured out the kings a little bit I don't think really because they haven't figured out any of these other teams. I, I think at the end of the day, the Kings aren't playing well. Like, and I would like to tell you that, you know, it's just that they're a very similar team, I, but they're not. If you ask me what their identity is right now, I would tell you, I don't know what their identity was is. And last year I knew exactly what their identity was. It was a crazy offensive team that was resilient as hell. They didn't lose four games in a row after the first four games of the season. Every time that you thought that they might slip up and lose a game, they punched somebody in the face. They had countless games where they went into the alleged trap game and ran over somebody. They didn't have bad losses, at least not to this point in the season. That's not who this team is. It's not the same team. It's not a resilient team. It's a team that's laid down 10 times this season. It's a team that's lost at home to Charlotte missing who had lost 11 in a row on the second night of a back-to-back missing four starters. That is some next level under Alvin Gentry losing to the Philadelphia 76ers bad shitty Kings. That's what that is. And so like, these are things where I would point to and say, Hey, look, this isn't the same team. They might be trying to tinker and stuff and trying to change some things, but they got to figure out who they are because The record be damned. This team's bounced in the first round if they're facing anyone with any size and athleticism and physicality. They face the Clippers in the first round, they're done. They face the Pelicans in the first round, they're done. So I I, that's where I'm looking and saying, hey, you guys can say that they're (laughs) the same team. They're not the same team. They're not nearly as good and consistent. They might be a better like overall group. The talent might be better but who they are as a team is not better. And I, I think mean, that would be my bigger concern.
1: I, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of, there, there are things in there I agree with, but I kind of push back because um, like you said, like no, they've only lost, they don't, their biggest losing streak is three in a row. And um, they lost yeah. They've lost two in a row, two times. I, I, I mean, right they, right. They, they, I think, I think it's the way they've lost. And I think that's what ling- that resonates the most. And again, if you, if you're, if you're just if you're going in there and and just take it for what it is you know they're they i think that like last night i think they overcame a lot of adversity you know orlando certainly overcame some adversity for some of the players that were dropping like flies but you don't have points go your you don't have some calls go your way um you don't you, you you're you're having to make adjustments on the fly you're i mean there's 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 two ways you can look at it like it's it's a glass half full glass half empty right the reality is, it's still half. You know, in my opinion, I think they play right now in a way that is similar because they're losing. like the, the way they're losing games, certainly you can t- talk about it as you just laid out. But like winning in the first round, they didn't win in the first round last year, James. No, you know I no, mean? Like, but they took
2: a team uh, like a, a championship team, the champions from the year before, to seven games. Like and, and right, again, which, like Sean, I get what you're saying, but. Like there is no resiliency in these losses. There is nothing in these losses. I, I,
3: yeah. But there is the I mean, next game. You know what I mean? Right. They don't like hold it's, on to it necessarily. Exactly. It's
1: well, a next I mean, game mentality. Yeah.
2: It's good to be a goldfish. I, I get you, but you're still a goldfish.
1: Because that's what they <laughs> what look like. Mean? I have no idea what that means. <laughs> okay, so a goldfish flushed. doesn't I mean, have a
2: <laughs> a goldfish doesn't have a like a short term memory. Are you talking about short
1: term memory? Short-term? Okay, short term at memory. all,
2: okay. right? It's that's fine. <laughs> But these, if you turn around, were... and every single time, you, 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 oh, we don't have a short-term memory, it's like, uh, well, maybe you should. Maybe you should remember yeah. that you lost to a bad team last night. Maybe that's what you should but, do, because because here's what that's... I would say. Like you say, they faced some adversity in the game yesterday. The adversity they faced is a team that's bad at shooting threes just caught fire, and I, I get right. it, and they fought through the adversity. Name another time where they fought through adversity this season, Because every other time I remember them facing adversity outside of Atlanta and then what, early in the season, (laughs) the Warriors, that like nine out of their 13 losses, they lay down. They lay down and
1: go, oh, we just got thumped. Yeah, but okay, so to that point, though, last year, okay, It's, it's again, they took advantage of their early schedule, right? Like this, again, the whole, you're not catching anybody, the the whole hunted hunter thing. I agree with you, Brennan, that's not like a thing, but teams aren't sleeping on the Kings anymore. And I think we can all agree that when you, when you play Sacramento, you're one, you have to have your track shoes ready. Teams don't want to, they don't, they don't all the time want to play that way. And they're coming into the, into Sacramento and they're preparing for the Kings as a way where it's a team that matters. It's a team that you have to be ready for. You can't take lightly. And like it or not, there are teams that you can take lightly. The Charlotte Hornets are one of them. And the Kings are getting a lot of teams on the second nights of back-to-backs. Like, both of their back to back that they had with the Hornets and the Magic this season, or just this week alone, both teams were on the second nights of back-to-backs. Point being is, I agree with you. There are certainly flaws within this Kings team. But by and large, they play like a 500 basketball team at various points of the season. And they're in one of their stretches right now where one night they can look great and the other night they can look bad. But again, just the if you take it from a a view from 50,000 feet or however long you want to look at, like the overthink when you look at it record wise, this team is very similar. And again, their problems and their strengths are very, very similar to last year. That's that's all I mean. Is, is No, I get know, what I think... you're
2: saying. I would just say I would even kick back a little bit and say, like, look, this isn't even a particularly fast team. They're tenth right. in the league in pace. We watched them Mike Brown tell us that they were gonna run and then they walk the ball up the court like half the time. Yeah. Uh, eh.
4: yeah. Well uh, the, I don't yeah, know. the king's
1: I would group the king, like I said in the last podcast, I would group the Kings in a very similar situation as some of these other teams in the West right now that they haven't figured it out. Like they, they're oh, a wow. lot of these teams are 500 right now. And, and, and they're, you don't know whether they're players or not. Right. The Kings for the, for even for them looking like the, the tough spots at various places, they're still fifth in the West. Yeah.
2: They're fifth in the so, West, but th- that's precariously. I mean, you're, well, you're I mean, like you two games it, it out of the it end. Is. Yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying. I'm just saying that last season, we didn't see a bunch of bad losses. And this season,
1: man, they're too bad. They also won a lot of games that you probably shouldn't. They probably had no business winning. And and they were able to capitalize on that early season success. Okay. But again, really at the good. end of the day, you got. No, yeah. I'm just saying, at the end of the day, they are what they are. You know, like record wise, you're going to be what you are. And if you can, like, that's why I said, beginning of the season, okay, you could lose, you could win fewer games and still be better positioned to make a playoff run but I'm not sitting here telling you today on January 4th, happy new year, by the way, I'm not sitting here telling anybody that this team is positioned to make this great playoff run. No, but I'm also outside of a few teams. I don't know what the hell the West is right now. I mean, the Minnesota freaking Timberwolves aren't going anywhere and they're top. They're the top team in the West. That's crazy right now. I don't think anyone would, would have predicted that. Um, you've got just so much disjointedness throughout the entire conference that, you're looking at Phoenix going, what are you doing? All of a sudden, here's the Clippers on the rise again. Does any is anyone believe in that? They probably should, but based off of their history, I don't know that anyone is. The Warriors are out of the play-in tournament at the moment. They're about yeah, to like... get Draymond Green back. Like, There's just so much question marks throughout the Western Conference. I just think that the Kings are part of that, but at the end of the day, if you look at the overarching season, uh, the first half of the season so far, a lot of the problems that they have remain the same, and a lot of their strengths that they have are the same. However they win or lose, like, doesn't matter how it feels. At the end of the day, you're still fifth in the West. Like, you're still positioning yourself for a nice playoff positioning, which is what they need to do. How do you go about doing it? How do you answer some of the, the shortcomings that you have at the deadline to see if you can bolster yourself?
2: Yeah. That, I mean, it's interesting because, I again... You, you know you're not fifth in the west if you if you don't just tank two games against bad teams in the same week and that's just again it's not who this team was last year and, and I know you can't hold on to what it was last year right. but at, at this point that's what your comparison piece is is what they were last year and right now it's like okay you, you are a middle of the pack team right now in just about every single thing and, and like it it could only be a matter of time before the teams that are 9, 10, 11, which, you know, again, are like the Suns, the Lakers, and the Warriors figure it out and, and aren't 9, 10, 11 anymore. And, yeah. you know, and again, if you want to get to the end of the season and the difference between you being in the play game or you having home-field advantage was lost because you laid down against a bad Charlotte uh, Hornets team in January, or, you know, or a bad Portland Trailblazers team in late December, it's a little tough, you know, and that's that's where I would look at. So
3: uh, I'll just add that I think, like, long term, that there's been two really big positive developments for the team this year. And that's obviously De'Aaron Fox just all of a sudden becoming an elite three point shooter. Like, I don't yeah. know that elite will stick or it, it deserves to be like labeled as a he's just for sure, elite. He's currently elite, 39% from three, 8.7 a game. His confidence is through the roof, obviously. There was a game, I think it's the Atlanta game, he took 16 of his 20 shots from beyond the arc
4: and yeah, made half of them.
3: 15 threes made in a combined two games right there. It's ridiculous, and I feel great about them every time they go up, personally. like he, He's knocking them down at a great rate, and one of the biggest things that you need is, as a team that's trying to build your way towards championship contention, eventually is a guy that's good enough to be the best player on that team. And if you feel like De'Aaron is becoming that guy, that's a huge development for this team. And then the other one I'd point out is Keegan Murray, like offensively struggling a bit from three specifically, again, said it earlier, 35 and percent on just under seven attempts a game from beyond the arc. But his defense, he's probably been the best defender. It's probably not even really close on the Kings yeah. throughout the course of this season. He's guarding twos while you're out there. If you know, if you wanted to go with the big lineup, say we're just throwing out a hypothetical here. Say you traded for Laurie marketing. You could start Keegan at the two and Harrison and Laurie and Omas. Like Keegan is guarding twos. Why not? You know, like he's giving you so much flexibility. I think that that development for what it means for the future of the team when it comes to Fox and, and Keegan is really big for long-term
2: roster construction. No, I totally agree. I would say the even the erratic play by Keegan Murray, it's because he's a second-year player. Like, that's totally fine. For a second-year player to be all over the board, it's typical for him to have 28 one night and then have a stretch where he's averaging eight points a game for the last five games or whatever it was. Um, It's the other guys that the erratic play has got to stop. It's the Harrison Barnes, it's the Kevin Herters, Um, it's that group of players that you're just looking at going, man, like there are certain nights where, you know, you play yourself off the court in the first five minutes of the game and you're too solid of a veteran to, to have that be the, you know, the dip for that to be the, the issue. And, and, uh, so like, I agree with you, there are some really exciting things to point to. I'd even say that like Sabonis is quietly stringing together, like one of the strongest, like 10 game, 15 game stretches that we've ever seen from a Kings player. I mean, the dude's got what five triple doubles in the last nine games. He's the lead leaguer, uh, the league leader in rebounds. Uh, He's had 15 boards or more in the last three games. Like what he's doing statistically is is off the charts. So we're starting to see him and then throw Malik Monk in there. You got four guys that you can write in with pen. What you're going to get from almost every night except for Keegan who's a little erratic and that again goes to being a young player. Now you need to find the other pieces. You need to figure out what it is that you're gonna get from these other guys because as of right now it's not enough. Like it like
3: yeah and three years ago Denver starting Will Barton or um Gary Harris and Paul Millsap, And those guys sound like current Kevin Herder and Harris Barnes to me. You know it, it's just a slow process. And if you have your core in place Then you feel like you can build around that. Like you're, I I think this team's in an okay spot for like zooming way out for roster construction and like years down the line and where you go from
2: here. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, Let's talk about that. Uh, We'll do the the business of basketball. We are we're like a month away, like from the NBA trade trade deadline. Um, Like the the rumors about. Zach Levine wanting to come to Sacramento. Yeah, whatever. That's fine. Uh, he can want to go wherever he wants. Like, I'm not sure that that's an answer. Uh, but are there any uh, answers out there? I mean, I think we're all looking at this team and kind of going, okay, I think I know who they are at this point, or maybe you don't because of the erratic play. Sean and I discussed this last week. What what did we discuss? It was Sean. It was, what are the types of players you don't want? Right. And right. I, your answer was Zach Levine. My answer is Zach Zach Levine. I don't like, want a like, oh. bloated fifty million
1: dollar year player that yeah that doesn't play defense and just the, the caveat the caveat there was yeah, if if it's the only move you're making, I don't see how that helps Kings win games. Oh but, yeah. yeah. If if you know there are multiple moves that can be made at the before the break, you so were if,
2: talking about like ninety million dollars a move. So there's well, no way no, to no, make no. like ninety million dollars <laughs> a <in> move, Sean. <laughs> right? Like yeah. that dude makes forty two million bucks. You can't right. add Pascal's Siakam, and that now we're at eighty million. Right. It's like, but go ahead.
1: But if there was a a poor man's version of there, or a more bargain hunting, and and he ended up being one of several moves that were made, or if this team looks dramatically different for you know all for all intents and purposes but at the at the trade deadline then i can envision success with zach levine but it would have to mean that there are you know this, that this team looks dramatically different so i'm not willing to necessarily throw that idea completely out the window but the reality of seeing that happen is is very if i disappear it's unlikely. me throwing
2: it out the window it's yeah me- chucking it out said window right now. I like, (laughs) like if that's a move they make, I'm shaking my head. And I also, if that's a move they make, Mm -hmm. I don't think Monty McNair is making the decisions and that would be even worse. So,
1: well, so, so my, what I, what I did say though was I said, I don't want to see this team as much as I do feel that they need to add, you know, I've always been on the wing position, like a guy who can get you a bucket, but also have a defensive minded presence, um, or at least not be a shill defensively, but somebody who's capable of just, you can get the ball to and he can get you a bucket, you know, um, I just don't want to see a bulk shooter. I don't want to see a guy who goes out there to, you know, chuck twenty points to get or twenty shots to get twenty points. Those types of things with this, the way this offense is, or designed to be uh, playing through Sabonis, um, giving Fox some help off help offensively. I think is the right mindset, but I don't feel that bringing somebody in that's just going to be a chucker is what the Kings need. Okay, I think there's like a handful of interesting names that I've looked at oh,
3: throughout the last a list. We got a list. I could. Rattle off some. Um, I'm a big Dorian Finney Smith guy. I love Dorian Finney Smith. I, I think that him and Keegan as your three four would be great for this team. He knocks down threes. Um, talked about as a great locker room guy. Like Dallas loved having him there. You could even look at Royce O'Neill on that roster. If you if you want to look in Chicago, everybody loves Alex Caruso for damn good reason. There's also Torrey Craig right there that I think would be helpful for this team. Um Matisse Thibel. We just saw in Portland. And you no, know, I will say there is some conversations recently about DeJounte Murray that are somewhat interesting to me. I don't think that does it for me, but like I think there's it, it's it's somewhat interesting. He hits threes, his defense hasn't been the same it has been in years past throughout the course of the season. Um, but just like rattling off a handful of names, there's different guys out there. There's still gonna be the Pascal Siakam conversations or Laurie Markinen if people want to go in that direction and consider that you talk about PJ Washington. We just saw coming to town, you know, like there's a lot of potential options as there is every year. And I think if you're really looking at like, okay, we have our core three, how do we go get our Aaron Gordon KCP that there's a decent amount of those guys around the league.
2: I think, okay. So I think the better question might be, do any of those players I I mean clearly Siakam, right? Like he he changes who you are as a team. But does anyone that you mention, like whether it's Torrey Craig or it's um Dorian Finney Smith, um, like do they change really the outcome of this season? Like I think last year we looked at some of these like potential improvements, right? You and I, I kept pushing the same, like everyone hates hearing it. Like, uh, Plumlee and Matisse Seibel, if you could add those two pieces, number one, I don't think you would have got dominated on the offensive glass, like you did against the, the golden state warriors and like having Matisse Seibel as another option to go defend Steph Curry would have helped you in the playoffs. So I would say that that's kind of where you were. But this year, it kind of feels like you've moved on from like the tertiary move, like the little move that will help you solidify yourself as a 50-win team. You're kind of playing in a different talent pool, if that makes sense. So I I agree. Some of those players make sense, but those are like, I need three of those moves, and and if I was going to do one of those moves, or I need a Siaka move, or I need something like that, and I, like, I don't think Laurie marketing is going to come available. And I, and even if they did, like, I'm not sure the Kings would mortgage like three first round picks and two pick swaps to go get Laurie marketing. Um, and I don't think Pascal Siakam is going to cost the same thing. Uh, so yeah, I would be all in on Pascal Siakam. Like Sean has been the whole time. Um, so I, I think the question more is like, what, level of player do you guys think the kings need as of right now because i think the level of player they need is pretty high i don't yeah, think agree the, J- the c-list uh, yeah
1: go ahead i agree but i will say the of the ones that he mentioned i mean certainly marketing would be amazing i just don't think it's realistic i don't think Dejounte murray is realistic although why do i feel like he's going to be a laker i, I just Dude, they're like open for happening. business
2: like I, i've right. had conversations like atlanta's like okay yeah what do we got like who who you know who wants in,
1: but to, but of all the ones that that were in there, and I don't know that it's even realistic in this way either. Uh, but Caruso makes so much sense. Uh I just if if you're Chicago, I, I just don't I don't know why you would. He's such a he's at such a great contract. um, You know, even if Chicago completely blows it up, which I get like, but I don't think he's the he's <laughs> he's not the one you necessarily throw out with the wash. So, um but would he move a needle of though? the ones. Yeah, I think so. I really do. I think Caruso does move the needle because I think he brings an elite defender to the, to this team. He can get you a bucket at times. He's a ball handler. I think it's adds some size to the, to the backcourt. I think that's a, I think that's a huge move for the Sacramento Kings, but um, the reality of them being able to get him, I think would be, that's a, that's another thing. I don't know that they can get him. And I also um, will add that like, maybe some of them don't
3: move the needle that much this year, but it doesn't have to be all about this year. You know, right. if you do, like you mentioned, maybe you need three of those to really feel good. Do that over the course of two years. You know what I mean? And then down the line, like going back to the Denver comparison, you know, it was uh off season. They got Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray's out the whole year. They kind of step back or mid season. And then next off season, they go and get KCP, you know? So like, I, I think it could happen over time sort of thing. And I don't really know. I, I more so recently thought of maybe they do just want to roll with this and increase those complementary pieces and was trying to look at it from that angle, but certainly getting a,
2: another bigger caliber player. I mean, it's not gonna hurt. I'm going to, I'm going to say the the bad name then because mm. I don't know no, how it hasn't come up. Do it
1: if I hear if I hear Sadiq Bay one more goddamn time, I'm no. gonna hang up this pot. Okay, thank
2: you No, Go I ahead. mean that. I mean no, <laughs> I, no, because again, is, that's not that's not the level. That's not <laughs> okay. the level of player that I'm talking about. I, I'm not a huge fan of his game, although I, I like the idea of of his game better than him in in actuality. But I went through and looked at Kyle Kuzma's contract. And it's 25.5 this year. It's 23.5 next year. It's 21.5 the year after that, and it's 19.5 the year after that. It's basically the buddy healed Harrison Barnes contracts that Ken Cantonella signed. and he's 28 years old. He fits everything that you need except for he might not be as good a three-point shooter or as good a defender as like some of these other options which don't exist like but
0: (laughs) i i don't don't i I hate talking (laughs) myself
2: into kyle kuzma but the kings i like traded okay the kings were trading for kyle kuzma What monty mcnair traded was like two seconds away a trade call almost happens and they almost landed him for Buddy Hield. They kicked the tires on him this offseason. They they had negotiated some contract talks with Harrison Barnes. Then they stopped contract negotiations with Harrison Barnes. They went and looked at a couple other players, including Kyle Kuzma. They came back to Harrison Barnes. If you can, here is the question I would I would ask. If there's a way to get Kyle Kuzma without giving up Harrison Barnes would you guys be like all in on that or no? Because I I mean, I could make a, like a trade. just the numbers wise, if you were to do some, they want multiple first round picks. I don't think they're getting multiple first round picks for Kyle Kuzma. If you were to offer Kevin Herter, Davion Mitchell, a first round pick that's protected and a second or two seconds, that might be enough to get Kyle Kuzma. And that would mean that Harrison Barnes now
1: becomes your third forward. Yes or no? an easy yes for me i yeah it's nuts but you figure that part out you figure the rotation and all that kind of stuff you figure that out i mean you're certainly going to still need to upgrade other areas you're still going to need to figure out some depth but yeah adding kyle kuzma is not a problem for the sacramento kings that's that's something that you would do and i don't know i don't know if i agree if that's what it takes to get that done but um if so yeah yeah absolutely I, I may be holding on
3: to this too much, but if you go back to that Bubbles final, he was so good defensively. Like, there is a good defender within Kyle Kuzma. And <laughs> I personally believe in... That's like saying
1: that there's good in Darth Vader. <laughs> good in <it>. Darth <laughs> Vader, by the way. Darth Vader, by the way, was Stop Star it, Wars. Stop it, Star Wars, he, uh, he is stopping. Luke Skywalker's Spoiler father. Alert. His <laughs> real name is Anakin like, Skywalker. He goes. I still feel there's good in him. It's okay. <laughs> okay. The only thing that makes Kyle Kuzma like, and I get what you're saying, but it, look, he, let's make no mistake. He is an offensive weapon. Okay. But he's six nine. He's got great size. Uh, he he's quick. Um, he can take up space, and he rebounds really well. So I know. Yeah, I mean, like if it, the one-on-one. Defensive stuff isn't great, but team defense, I can see it.
2: Okay. I just I I, like, I hate asking, but like. But he gets you a bucket,
1: man. Like that. Yeah. Sorry, James.
2: No, it it seems like he's the guy that, like, maybe not be a true second scorer, but could be really close to that. And the fact that he averages, like, I I like Kyle Kuzma his first year in Washington, 17.9 points. 8.5 8.5 rebounds, 0.9 blocks. Like, that's the guy that I would circle and say, How do you find that Kyle Kuzma? Can you can you pull that player back out of him? I don't like that he's really, really into the lifestyle. I don't like that he chose to what go back to, well, I mean, he just like, like he, I need, you I, didn't I need like to make sure he's he wore, a, did
3: you? The pink one was crazy.
2: <laughs> well, no, I need to make sure that he's a serious player. And it's right. like still. Like, because he plays for a not serious team, probably the most unserious team that we've ever seen in the NBA with a bunch of dudes who just go around, like, like chucking up shots and doing whatever they want. But also like he decided to go back there. He had opportunities for very similar money that was sitting there uh, that he could have gone other places and he chose to go back to, so he could score a bunch of points. Like I need right. to make sure that, that he learned his lesson from that decision and like, get me out of here because this Washington situation has turned bad, like really quickly. And if he can be a player that understands that, then sure. But if he's still, if he thinks he's going to come into Sacramento and go put up the numbers that he's putting up in Washington and not worry about winning, then that's not who I want on my team.
1: And as a guy, I know I told him said a minute ago. You know, I don't want to add a chucker to the team. He has to play that role for Washington. You know, he he has to be that guy that puts up nineteen, twenty shots a game to to average twenty four. I that's agree. But he, that's that's not who he is, and that's not who he would be with the Kings. You know, he, he can chose be the guy to, to be the, that guy. He chose well, to and be he that went guy, for the Sean. money. I and mean, he he went for the money. He had. To,
2: I mean, I don't. Fault the Kings the had twenty five million dollars to offer.
1: They did. Look, you go, you go, you're going to play, you're going to be the guy, you know, he went to get his money and he controlled his own destiny and he could be the guy, you know, it hasn't worked, but, but I he also, that's hey, what I'm it, talking about. Does well, he... but to that point, James, a year later, he could be on a different team. You know what I mean? So that yeah. this is, he still gave it the run. He still gave, like he used that to improve his situation. If he ends up on a better team. Great. So be it. I I'm with you. Is he all about winning? Probably not, but he's also experienced a little bit of that. So, and I well, think he's it's also, also experienced the other side. Right. I think it's also betting on your
3: culture and coaching staff to get the best out of a guy, which I feel pretty good about right now. Mike Brown. Yeah, I the think that's so out of somebody in this team culture, right. like somebody fitting into it and that pulling the best out of someone.
1: Well, and what I mean too, is like, I don't want people to just, uh, I was hinting that, but yeah, championship in 2020. So like, the fact that he's already experienced what it's like to win, and now he had to go try to, you know, make the best of it, get the best money you can get, put yourself to be a top scoring option. Like, I don't, I don't begrudge him at all for that. You know, even if it means, look, he knew he was going to Washington, they're not going to be good. What's it look like in two, three years? Like, he's still young enough to where he could be a centerpiece. You know, that's how he's looking at it. But again, the league changes quickly. He could be on a different team in six months, mu- you know, 10 months later. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well,
2: to wrap that one up. Um, so he's available to trade on January 15th. Uh, that is 11 days from now. So all of us are that a thumbs up. Look at so that. I you made mean, a thumbs I, I up. can't even do that. How do you make what? that happen?
1: That's probably just a superpower you have over there. I
2: think it's because I'm really cool. I don't know. I don't know how For that the audio happened.
1: listeners James puts his finger uh, is his thumbs up and then he gets oh. a little digital little like little animation that comes up I got an
2: animated I, I don't know how that happened but I I'm okay with, with it bubble ring you guys just keep trying down keep trying I can do it. <laughs> of course you try that <laughs> I don't I don't know why it was so so yes everyone is a thumbs up
1: yeah I mean yes I there there are play I would there are players I would like probably better, but yeah. If that was the, especially if the with the hmm. the offer that you had put out on the table, I think that would go over pretty well for sure. Is that yeah. an
2: offer you think is is reasonable?
1: Probably I don't think that more. gets it done. Yeah, I don't think that offer gets it done. You like think you're like Washington, you just signed him go ahead and outlay it again say say what the offer was again in your mind how what it gets done I just don't see it being
2: harder Mitchell uh, a first and a future sec and a second
1: yeah I don't think it does it
2: it's I not that far off I don't think
3: so either yeah I mean how far is the first we're talking
1: about and what sort of guess like james james not no offense buddy but that was the equivalent of what you see on message boards so often where it's like let me find all the shit that isn't working with the kings throw it out there with a first round pick and i'm gonna get somebody who is thought of as a like a like a a b talent in the league that's gonna like i just
2: don't
1: okay no no no, i don't see why washington would do that
2: yeah, but like I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, throw Harrison Barnes, a 31 year old guy. I mean, Kevin Herter's 25 years old, and no, I get Mitchell, it,
1: but he's also like, you're talking about two guys who aren't a part of your rotation, really. You know what I mean? That are lower level no, rotation at this point.
2: I'd also add in that no matter what, you're going to have to match salaries for a guy like Kuzma. So you're not, in my opinion, you're not trading Kuzma in this situation for the players you're getting. So that's not what I'm doing there. Like you're yeah. trading Kuzma
1: to move off of the money and to get picks. But if, if with respect, if, if I'm Washington, I'm hanging up the phone. Mm. I, like, I mean, that's if, not if, value. Well, yeah, that's but that's not if value to trade for a guy. Just, right. Yeah, yeah. I think, look, I mean, look at, just look at, at recent trades. Like I think it's going to take multiple first round picks without mm. swaps. without you know it that's just that's just how you can want in one hand and you know what else in the other and see what happens first but i'll say i think that they're gonna they're gonna want something for kuzma they're gonna want a return that's gonna be more substantial than what you're you're i mean they're
2: literally i mean like the word on the street is they're asking for two uh, they're asking for multiple first round picks like two first round picks yeah but like a lot of teams ask for two first round picks like a lot of the times two first round picks is a, a first and two seconds uh, or, a, you know, maybe a first and a second. Like, I don't know that you're getting two first round picks for Kyle Kuzma.
4: Well, Unless... from the Kings
3: perspective where like the players you're throwing in are just not great or like, Great value you know like I, I think that right. Kevin Herter's fine Harrison Barnes is fine I don't think those guys are necessarily negative value On their deals or anything like that but like You look at the OG trade it's players That are the main return there obviously And it's like any deal that the Kings Make their players that are Included are gonna just kind of be Whatever
1: you know so yeah, you've it got,
3: has To be picks and but you my have response, team Control
1: with Kuzma as opposed to Somebody like OG who Was about to enter Free agency or is. Yeah, but at was. this
2: at the same time, like every team that you're dealing with has their own motivation for trading a player. Washington has to start over. The, Toronto's not starting over. Toronto's trying to match a timeline with a, a young star in Scotty Barnes. And that's why they wanted a 23-year-old and a 24-year-old in uh in RJ Barrett and and Emmanuel Quickly. That's not the case with every team. But, like so yeah, the value of what you're getting like would Washington maybe prefer expiring contracts? Maybe, but I don't know. Like Kevin Herter's deal really isn't that bad. It's two more years at 35 million bucks. You have to pay somebody. Uh Davion yeah. Mitchell has one more year left on your on his deal. Like Washington's not a like a free agent like hub where you can go get all kinds of players. Like Herter would play valuable minutes for them for the next two years after this year.
1: So. Well, I mean, Washington not only is it, they're they're, in the, they're already starting over. Like, they're already, they've got a bunch of young players. They have hardly any veterans. They um, don't have a single
2: young player that you just circle and say, okay, I'm building around. None. You're not building I, around Denny. I would, any of I would agree yet. with that. No, I would You're not building around a Jordan Poole. You're financially maybe building around Jordan Poole. But, like, I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting because... Again, like every team that you're going to trade with, they they have their own motivations for why they're trading. The Kings' motivation is to take the next step. The Raptors' motivation was to get younger. Um, a lot of teams' motivation is to get draft picks. So, yeah. I, and that's where Washington, if I'm, you know, they're going to be looking at draft picks. If they could get expiring contracts, that might make sense to them. But even that, I don't know if that makes sense. So, all right. Uh, what do we got for final thoughts? Let's start with Brendan. Brendan, what do you got? The Lakers are a shit show and it's
3: great. It's great. <laughs> it's great. It sounds like Darvin Ham is uh, pretty likely on the way out. And I can't find, I'm trying to find the uh, quote in here. Yeah. Okay. There's currently, this is from Sham Yovan Buha, the athletic, right? There's currently a deepening disconnect between Darvin Ham and the Lakers locker room. Six sources with direct knowledge of the situation say,
2: have you guys ever seen six? That's ridiculous.
3: I've seen no? multiple.
1: Usually you just say multiple. I want to see but like six. is crazy.
2: <laughs> Who are the six? Because if it's like Christian Wood, Jackson Hayes. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no,
1: no, no. It's LeBron James. It's LeBron. Rich Paul, Maverick Rich Carter. Paul and then <laughs> <James again. laughs> yeah, Jimmy Spencer is one.
2: It just throw him in there. Jimmy Spencer can, can say, no, we need to make a change. Yeah,
1: go ahead. I mean, well, I mean, they're, they're, I I would they're, just they're say, going to shit. yeah, I mean, if, okay, then what, you right. know what I mean? Like the Lakers, like they gassed out, you know, they put all their eggs into the in tournament basket, it <laughs> seems in season tournament. And, uh, they partied like, as if it was a championship, which good for them, but yeah, they were, uh, they've been bad and you know, Gabe Vincent, who was one of the players they went after this past offseason and landed him and he hasn't played all year. You know, he's been hurt and he's going to be out for a, a little while longer. Um, My my question is, is OK, great. You fired Darvin Ham. Then what? I mean, the, the reality is, is like LeBron James and the Lakers need to have a divorce like the Lakers need to. They, they just need to separate it in my opinion They're like you're wow. Anthony Davis is your guy it's always been that way uh for the past two years especially but after they won like doing what the like you're just trying to appease LeBron at this point and you're just not positioned well to do it and you know so what Sean is saying I'm is Harrison
2: Barnes Kevin you know,
1: Herter yeah, Davion Mitchell and
2: and a first round <laughs>
3: Right. Just kidding. trade LeBron. You know what's wild that I feel like isn't being talked about is that LeBron is a player option for next year. And this is the year that Bronny's supposed to get drafted. And he's publicly declared that he wants to play with Bronny. Right. Yeah. Like, is that going to be a thing or what? And the Kings traded away their first rounder, of course. The King can't be a king. Oh, hey, oh well. They
1: can acquire one.
2: Yeah. And I guess yeah, I, real- I mean there's a there's a really good chance that if it wasn't the, for that fact that Le- uh, that Brawny slides to the second round, like I mean we're talking about a, a kid who unfortunately has a heart problem and and not only that but doesn't he is not a surefire first round pick at all. So I think he's um, been better as of late, but yeah, more to prove for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that the Lakers built a team around LeBron James and thought that bringing in like D'Angelo Russell, Cam Reddish, Rui Hachimura, Christian Wood, Jared Vanderbilt, Jackson Hayes, they didn't bring in winners. They didn't go out and find a bunch of
1: dudes who can help you get over the hump. <laughs> Rui, these guys just fell off their couch hearing that. Um, well, no, I mean, no, I, I mean Rui, but it's you're in sal- Rui's got a it, like, salary cap. Yeah.
2: I I guess, but I mean you trade I for like Rui I Rui mean Hashimura. and I'm not saying he's a bad player, but like
1: I think Rui can help the Kings.
2: <laughs> there's enough out there on a lot of these players to tell you that they're not guys who make winning basketball plays. I mean, Rui was in Washington for long enough to, you know, to get a little bit of of that stink on him. So, I don't know. And the Lakers traded away Westbrook for D'Lo
3: and some other guys, but Mike Conley's in that deal as well. And Mike Conley looks real damn good in Minnesota right now, when probably would him. be a way better fit in LA than D
1: Just saying so they, they, they absolutely love him up there. Absolutely yeah. love him.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, there's a lot that goes into what's happened to that Lakers squad. And you saw like the, the doc rivers rumors, right? They're like, Oh, yes. maybe doc will take over. Like, okay. he's going to call know. their game the night before and then suit up on the second night of a back-to-back yeah he'll be super generous about what he's saying the entire game and then (laughs) why is he being so nice why is he saying how good christian wood is and how how lebron james still has so much in the tank and then next day you're like uh-huh the other name
1: the other name to monitor there and i don't know that it would happen but mark jackson would be the other name Mm. that
2: just sounds wonderful I know Mm. it does. I am all for this. Yeah. The
1: one that, the one that has the most chaos to it is actually doc rivers because I just, for some reason, have a hard time picturing doc rivers and LeBron James.
3: Who Hmm. are other, what, like Terry Stotts? Like who are other guys out there that didn't get jobs? James Borrego. Like,
1: I don't even know. Yeah. Mm. Well, you remember David Fisdale was a hot commodity for so long. Um, I don't know. There's. I don't know that he still is.
2: Like, I mean, but, but let's out be there. honest.
1: A lot of these guys don't want to pick up midseason, and then likely wouldn't pick up midseason. And so, at that point, what are you doing? Because now you're just wasting another year of LeBron. So yeah, no, it's, 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 it's chaos, it's, man. It's, it's a chaos. tough part of being in the Lakers because you expect greatness all the time. You've got the, you know, arguably the generation's the generation's biggest talent on your uh, on your team in his later years. Father Time has certainly caught up with him, even though he's still putting up incredible numbers. He'll be on another all-star team, mainly for fan votes. But, I mean, you can see it. You can see that the, just the just the usage on him, and then when they were talking about earlier in the season how they were going to try and keep his minutes down, it's, it's tough. He's Amick still averaging
2: 25, 7.4 assists, and 7.3 rebounds in 34.3 minutes per game. That's pretty.
3: he's playing some of his best basketball too, and it's not Lebron
2: shooting thirty nine point five percent from three. Yeah, like I know Father Time is is like like clawing at him there, but he man, might be Father Time. He he slayed that beast for way longer than anyone thought. So
1: yeah, yeah. he gave Father Time a run for his money. <laughs> he yeah, made, he, he He gave him two yeah. black eyes. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah,
2: he dunked on him a couple of times. Yeah. Um, okay, uh, Sean, do you have any final thoughts?
1: uh brendan just got us really. sidetracked there <laughs> yeah he did those are those are nice i didn't even, i forgot we were in final thoughts uh just hey people don't kill each other over stanley cups um especially the pink one or the red one or whatever the hell it was that's crazy i think um, of hockey every time i hear that I don't even watch brendan hockey. you weren't you weren't here the last time uh in our last podcast and i said that i had seen the movie uh poor things which is one of the trippiest movies I've seen in a long time. I don't even know if I like it, but I hadn't stopped being able to think about it. And as you been not being a real movie guy, I want you to watch it and then and then report back to me. Cause I think me recommending it to you, you'll watch it, you'll come and look at me like I have three heads on my shoulders. You're gonna go, What the hell <laughs> was that? And sure. I wonder if you'll like it. Seriously. I'm intrigued. Sure. I I did
3: realize the other day I had like a little road trip, and you know, we pulled up just random road yeah, trip questions. That? and one of them it was great. And one of them was what's your favorite scary movie? And I realized I could list a decent amount of scary movies. So apparently just over the years, that's what I've seen more than anything. But what was the one
1: you recommended? Poor Things with okay. Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, Mark Ruffalo, Jared Carmichael sure. has an appearance in there. Sure. Um my favorite scary movie is Glitter. Glitter. Don't know I don't it. I think I know that. It's 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 horrific. It's with Mariah Carey. <laughs>
2: That's not a scary movie, right? It's just know, a Batman It depends movie. on who you ask. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, is that the Mariah Carey movie? It's like I will <laughs> say it wasn't
1: intended to be scary, but it scared the shit out of me. That movie <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, that was made. Yeah. Um, okay, final thoughts.
2: Um, I don't know. We got to get through this out week. The window. This is like a, I don't know me? about you guys. I've I've had a long week of like the back-to-backs oh, at home, the home violin. Friday. Uh, we got a game on Sunday. I, I don't know. I don't know what to expect from this team night in night out. Uh, but I don't know. O- overall, it's, it's been a, a fun season because they're not, I mean, they're interesting. They're like a, like a weird science experiment experiment to watch play out. So I don't really have a whole lot else go going on besides that. I'm just tired. I'm very tired. Um, Okay. Uh, let's see. That's going to do it for this edition of the Kingspeed podcast. Um, if you're still watching, somehow, give us a thumbs up. I don't know. Let's see if we can do it again.
1: I think you're too pixelated. Yes. Oh, there it is. What yes. the hell?
2: I don't know. You can try it again, Brendan. No, no, I'm going to bring real hosting. bubbles next episode. You're going to bring real bubbles? and yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. Bubbles and candles. You, you and would have would. bubbles. <laughs> All kinds of weird it? ass tsk, tsk, going on. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, jump on board with prize picks. Uh, jump on board with the Kings Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com and become a premium subscriber. Uh, we'll have a happy hour. I, it's just been my schedule's been chaos, and, and mm-hmm. just finding time for us to get a podcast together has been extremely difficult for all three of us. So, we'll do the best we can to get one as soon as possible. And uh, we'll find a guest. Uh, cool. So for Fox 40, Sean Cunningham and Brendan Udez from the Kings Wolves podcast, I am Ham, Kings is out over ESPN 1320 on the Kings beat. We'll see you soon.